It is great to be with you all here today. Um, if you would just take a second, turn to the person next to you. Um, man, if you're sitting at home, sitting with your small group, uh, wherever you're at with your family, just turn to the person next to you and say, how you doing? There you go, how you doing? Maybe give them a high five, a little elbow bump. Um, it's, it's your quarantine group, right? So you don't have to worry about spreading germs with those people. Uh, no, I love it, man. Let's pray and then we are gonna jump into this. Lord God, I love you. I thank you so much for your grace, I pray. Um, that we would do nothing more than make you ever more known and loved. God, I pray that your name would be lifted high. I pray that hope um, would ring out true in the middle of this season where it feels like so much loss is around us. Um, God, trust is beginning to erode. Um, Lord Jesus, as the economy goes, as, I mean, even the disease spreads, um, trust is also becoming, or the lack of trust is spreading rapidly too. And I pray in the middle of all of this, Lord God, that your unbelievable hope would resound clear and strong, um, that the one who loves us the most, um, Lord Jesus, has not lost his footing at all. In your glorious name, amen. Um, real quick, uh, we are beginning our strategy for reopening the church. Of course, as you know, um, if you've listened to the governor's uh, recommendation, we've gone through the different phases. Um, our team has been in a whole lot of different meetings uh, with different leaders trying to unpack what the launch of these social gatherings might look like, especially larger ones like a church. And uh, we have begun to kind of put a plan together. I'm going to share part of it today with you. Uh, so first of all, I want you to know our heart. Our heart really is uh, that we do not want to be afraid at all. We want to walk with courage, but we also don't want to be indifferent. Um, and I think there is a danger. Uh, the two kind of boundary keepers for us as we work through this are one, we can be overawed by the fear that's out there. I mean, like right now, whether it's the disease being spread, like I've talked about even before, some people are afraid the next unwashed apple is going to be their demise. Um, you can be overawed by this. Um, some people have lost trust. My goodness, in medical systems and the you name it right now, the whole thing is a mess. Socioeconomically, it's a mess. Financially, people are struggling. struggling. We don't want to be overawed by all of the hard difficulties that are in place. On the other hand, we don't want to be indifferent to them. So we don't want to become victim to this, but we also don't want to go so far uh, the other direction or in that direction where we get to the point where we are just indifferent to it. Like we don't even care. It's like, I'm not going to wash my hands. I'm not going to wear a mask. I don't even care about it anymore. People get sick. That's their problem. We don't want to be indifferent and we don't want to be overawed. Uh, the reality is we want to have God-sized confidence as we move forward, and we also want to have God-sized compassion as we move forward. Don't forget, right? I mean, the Jesus who died on the cross, he was infinitely more powerful than the evil that overtook him, but he came and took on the role of a servant and ultimately even died on the cross because of unbelievable compassion. And so we want to do our best to have God-sized confidence and have God-sized compassion. Those both have to exist. So as we do this, um, the big thing for us is we want to empower those that are able to gather together to help mentor up and teach and begin classes again for you know students and, and college students and, and children. We want to open those as soon as we possibly can. Uh, and we also want to empower people to go and serve downtown and other ministries, help mentor. We want to empower those that are able. And we also want to protect those who are vulnerable. And so we're going to try to move forward in a way where we do both of those. And I do think that is possible. 
Uh, so here's how we're going to do this. We are going to start launching um, kind of the, the re-coming together by launching our small groups and D groups first. Those that are part of our congregation know that is a primary engine for our church, our discipleship groups and our small groups or our community groups as we call them. And, uh, and so what we want you to do is we want you this next week to begin talking about when you might gather to get together again with your D group or your community group. And listen, we don't want to put those that are at risk in danger. We absolutely want to protect those people. So if you're uh, a person that is high risk and you're, maybe your group is an older group or there are people in your group that are high risk, it is totally fine to still do it on Zoom. It's totally fine to have a few of you meet in person and maybe one person Zoom in. You all can work through the best way to show charitable love to your group and also continue to move forward in building that community back together again. We'll let you begin that journey. In fact, we're encouraging you to do it. We're going to have questions after the sermon. We'd love for you to watch the sermons, uh, maybe even together as a group or before you meet as a group, and, uh, and then unpack. We've got questions that will be up after each sermon that you can talk about in your group to begin the journey of meeting back together in person. Then the ultimate goal would be on May 31st is kind of our target date, um, looking at the CDC guidelines, um, man, being in talks with different leaders in the community. Uh, May 31st would be our target date to gather together again for public worship. Now, initially, of course, this is all dependent upon whether there's a huge resurgence of the disease. Um, I mean, we don't know how that will all play out, but we are putting a date on the calendar aiming for it, and it's May the 31st. And on that date, our goal is that we would come together and we are going to provide services where we are doing appropriate social distancing, right? So we'll probably have chairs spread out a little bit. We're going to limit the amount of people that can come into the services. Uh, and we also want to encourage you, of course, more details will come in the next couple of weeks. So just be patient. A lot more details are coming, but just give you a heads up. Uh, we would like people to come that are safe. We do not want to put any pressure on people that are high risk. You can stay at home, keep watching at home. That is great. We love you and we want you to be a part of the church using that method. Uh, and on the same hand, we want to encourage people uh, to not come at that time if they're not good at socially distancing themselves. That's the way to say it. Um, that would include like my four-year-old. I love my daughter. I was outside the other day and she did a terrible job of doing social distance, right? She was wrestling with our neighbor's kids and playing, which is totally fine. I love her. She's amazing. Um, and of course, she is not at risk. Uh, but we do want to encourage people to come if they can self-maintain good social distance and they are not at risk themselves. And so we will build services to help make that happen. We are more than likely details to come to have a sign-up process like we're coming to an event, like you get a ticket to an event. Uh, for those first few Sundays as we kind of build this out. You are also giving us time to accomplish a couple of different things. One, we are building out and working on good ways to clean the sanctuary in between each service. Uh, we are also upgrading things in our sanctuary, sound systems, etc., and uh, giving us a couple more weeks to get those all finalized will help us improve online uh, production of the service and then also meeting in person, a great safe way to do that too. So May 31st, details to follow. Keep following us on social media, keep checking the website, and of course we will be sending out mass the emails to you all too. Uh, so that you can stay up to date as this is beginning to unfold. But May 31st is kind of our date, and even starting this Sunday, begin to talk to your small group about when you could start gathering together again with your community group or your D group. Know you are loved, and more information is to follow. 
All right, we want to go ahead and jump into the next sermon in our series about God. This has actually been a really fun series for me to teach through um, as we look back through history, especially those amazing stories in the Bible where we have those moments where it seems like all is lost and the only way that somebody can survive or make it is with a huge but God moment where God just steps in and shows off his love in powerful ways uh, for the people that he loves. Uh, I want to kind of walk us through this. So week number one, a few weeks ago, we talked about waiting well. You can go online, EncounterTrinity.com, and see any of these sermons that have already been preached. Uh, but week one, we did waiting well. What does that look like? Week number two, we talked about the power and importance of your private life. I mean, we really shared how, man, some of the most amazing, wonderful things that we see take place in the Bible. I mean, those individuals were prepared long before that moment uh, man, with the audience of just God, you know, with what they were doing in their prayer life and worship alone and how important it is to have a good, healthy, private life. What does that look like? Week number three, uh, last week we talked about what if God doesn't work in the way that you wish he would? Like the but God moment is God getting involved, but not necessarily maybe in the way that you expected. Um, how do you respond to that? And then today, what we want to do is we want to ask this question. What if you have already lost your battle? What if it's already done? What if you have already fallen apart completely financially, maybe even filed for bankruptcy? Like the war is done, you've already lost. Death has already taken place. What if the relationship is already over? What if the divorce has already happened? Uh, what if the job has already been lost? What if the death of a loved one has already taken place? You prayed for that grandpa of yours or aunt or uncle to make it and they didn't. What if it has already been lost? What if you even had the death of something that's incredibly hard, the death of a dream? Something that you desired, something that you were excited about and God just didn't let it play out that way. What if the death has already come? What if the war is already over and you've lost? What about that? I want to begin by answering that question. I want to go back in time. And we've been walking a little bit through the season of, man, the Israelites through their captivity, even with Babylon. I want to go back to that season again. It was five years after the conquest of Babylon of course, as we shared last week, there were many young leaders after the siege of Jerusalem had taken place and they had marched out, you know, with Daniel and, and then ultimately Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those, of course, were their new Babylonian names. But these young leaders and among those that were marched out from Jerusalem was a young man by the name of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was probably about 25 at the time of the captivity. It had been five years after the Babylonian conquest and he was living really in a refugee camp in Babylon. The story of Ezekiel begins with uh, Ezekiel sitting outside of the refugee camp by like this aqueduct area, this waterway, and he's kind of praying to God like, what now? I mean, the battle has been, oh, the battle's over, it's finished, it's been done, and we have lost. I mean, we've lost absolutely everything. We lost our name, we lost our influence, we lost absolutely everything. We have lost our money, we've lost our home, we've lost loved ones, we've seen death. I mean, all of this is over, and here we are sitting amongst the dry bones of the conquest in which we are the ones that have lost. And God calls him ultimately to become a prophet. But the message that Ezekiel is given 
is not so much an answer initially, but he is not answering here is how we get out of it, but he's answering the question, why did God allow this to happen? And it really happened because of sin. I mean, all this death, all this destruction, even in your own life, the death of your finances, even if it wasn't your decision, it's somebody else's sin that caused the death to happen to you. The death of your finances, the death of their finances. The death of your loved ones, the death of their loved ones. The death of your dreams, the death of their dreams. It is all because of sin. Sin destroys. It doesn't just destroy the people that are committing sins. It also destroys those that are around them. And Ezekiel set in the remains of all of this loss. And God said, you are a prophet. And your initial message is just to tell people why. It is sin and death that brought about all of this misery. The story fast forwards and there's quite a few little visions and dreams that take place, but we're going to jump all the way to near the end or further along, closer to the end, Ezekiel 37. So the early part of Ezekiel, now we're going way forward in the book. And what we find is uh, he did a pretty good job of explaining the misery and hardship and difficulty of all this season of loss. And then God takes him to this amazing moment where he has this incredible vision that so well illustrates the state of the people and honestly even illustrates your state for many people that are watching this or listening to this sermon here today. How in the world can God keep his promises? How in the world can God rescue? How in the world can God bring about good when the battle is already over and death has already come and the story is done and you have lost, they have lost. It feels like we have lost. Ezekiel 37, one through 11. I wanna paint this picture before we do it. He has a vision. I want you to imagine with me in your minds, he is uh, coming into this valley, right? Like walking down a hill, it's sandy, it's desert. Imagine this in your minds with me. The wind is blowing, you can hear the sand crunching underneath his sandals as he makes his way down into the valley. Imagine this with me. As he's down there, man, this desert climate, it's hot. As you look around, there is no life and scattered all along the bottom of the valley are these bones that are Man, evidence of a war fought long ago. There it is, death, no life. The story's done. And as Ezekiel is standing there among the remnant of these bones in this desert, in this hard place, we want to go to Ezekiel 37, verse 1, and I'm going to read through 11. The hand of the Lord, so here it is, the vision. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were many, very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. It's like only you know. Only you know if these could live again. Maybe that's how you feel about your current financial situation. Maybe that's how you feel about your marriage that's already over and broken. Maybe that's how you feel about a relationship that has fallen, about a job that is lost, about a dream that is dead. Only God knows if anything good can come out of what's left. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath into you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7, So I prophesied. And as I commanded, all right, now I want you to imagine this with me. Put your mind in that spot, standing there in the valley, the sand below you, the wind blowing, bones all around. I mean, God has told you to speak out something that seems counter-natural. It seems that way. The battle is already done. These people have already lost. Their story is already over. And here God commands Ezekiel. So what does he do? He obeys. And I prophesy. And there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So imagine that with me, right? Like there he is, he prophesies, and a strong wind begins to move in there, and the bones come together. I mean, clattery, imagine that with me, coming together and forming, and as they're coming together and forming, sinews and tendons begin to meet, and then skin begins to wrap around them, and all these lifeless bodies put together are laying on the ground. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. There are a couple things I want to point out from this. There is so much death in the greater story, not just in that valley in that moment, but the metaphor of all that that valley represents. The death of loved ones, the death of influence of the Jewish people, at least from their perspective, right? I mean, it was done, it was over. Babylon was king. The death of freedom, the death of even hope. Ezekiel sees the real state of God's chosen people the, the real state of them is done over dry and dead. Sin has completely destroyed them and their future and their hope. There is only one way out at this point, only one way that God could bring life into this. There's only one way forward. Resurrection. Resurrection. But see, there's one more important death that we have to remember from the historical context of this story. God's promise that these people would be blessed and represent him. Remember, these are the promised people of God. They're supposed to be the blessed ones of God who have all this influence representing God well. We even talked about that last week and how that was lost. I mean, these are God's chosen people. And the reality is they are already dead. They have lost dry bones on the floor. All of this is gone. So the question is, did God lie? Have they fallen so far that there is no hope? And I even wonder how that plays out in your life for people that are watching this here today or listening in. Man, are you at a spot where you feel like the story is over or even a promise that God has given you has not come to pass and it feels like it's already done, the story is already over? 
and all you have is dry bones. Maybe in a relationship, the relationship, it feels like it's totally dead. Maybe financially, it feels like you are totally dead. Maybe physically, it feels like death is absolutely overcome. Maybe work is totally gone and dead. It did not plan out the way you want. Maybe even some other dream was there and it feels like it has totally died. You're not Ezekiel, maybe you're the dry bones. Now there's something really interesting happening in this text. God doesn't just work. He chooses to work through Ezekiel. God loves to use his people. He doesn't just love to show off his love to his people. God loves to work through people. He works through flawed disciples. He worked through flawed King David. He works through flawed people all the way through history. And you, even you being flawed with a humble heart, God wants to work through you. In fact, the way I would say this is, your greatest spiritual moments are not the sum of your knowledge or religious piety. It is not that. Your greatest moments, they are merely the result of a humble heart before God. Your greatest spiritual moments are the result of a humility, of humility and a humble heart before the Lord. It's not about your wisdom. It's not about your lineage. It's not about having the right kind of clothes. It's not about any of those things. It is about a humble heart before the Lord. So what does all this mean for us? That's a good question. I'll kind of break it up into two things. So one is know these truths. I want to give you two truths. And then uh, I want you to weigh your heart. So the first thing I would say is know these truths. The first truth would be God loves to work through his people to do great things. God loves to work through his people to do great things. Through them. Which means he loves to work even through you to do great things. Yes, sin destroyed. But man, when you get your heart humble and right before the Lord, not even death can stand in the way from a great move of God. The second thing that I would say is this. There is never a too late for God. So when you think about broken relationships, you think about broken finances, you think about being broken physically, maybe the death, whatever it might be, death of work, death of a dream, when you think about this, there is never truly a too late for God. It might not turn out exactly the way you thought it would, but man, God knows what is truly best and there is never a too late for God. The other thing I would say is there is never a too dead for God. I mean, and this is true all the way to the cross, and it is true, I mean, even us being able to go into heaven, oh death, where is your victory? Death has lost its sting in Christ Jesus. The other thing that I would say this is it's important imperative that we weigh our heart. Where is your heart today? Sin brings death. That's the whole metaphor of the valley of dry bones. The people of Israel have lost it all because they gave in to sin. They gave in to the lusts of the flesh. They gave in to the materialism. They gave in, man, to the jealousy. They gave in to the hatred. They gave in to all of this sin. Sin destroys. It brings death. It brings to an end, man. Weigh the condition of your heart and what happens like Ezekiel there with nothing but mere humility and obedience to God, what happens, man, when you have a humble heart before the Lord, everything changes when you have a humble heart before the Lord. Another question, the last question I want to ask is this, where is Jesus in all of this? Jesus is the culmination of this moment, resurrection, 
Jesus is the culmination of this moment. He is resurrection, the conquering of death itself. He is the perfect example of the trust or of trust and faithfulness. And so I just want you, man, to end this message with this thought in mind. Your story isn't done. With God, there isn't a two dead. With God and with a humble heart, man, I'm telling you, the dry bones can live again. And I want to encourage you to spend time even this morning and weigh the posture of your heart before the Lord. Is it humble before God? Is it hungry for God? Are you willing to be obedient to him? Think about it. What made Ezekiel great was not all this religious piety. It wasn't his lineage. It wasn't what made Ezekiel great and have the ability to do such an amazing thing was literally the posture of his heart before the Lord. And I want you to weigh the posture of your heart before the Lord. Is it teachable? Is it obedient? Is it humble before God? Is it wanting and desiring to walk into love and be faithful to that? And if that is the posture of your heart, hear me clearly. There is not a two dead. I believe the best is yet to come. Even for you. Even standing in the midst of what appears to be already dead. With God, the best is yet to come. I want to encourage you, if God is working in your heart, um, to engage in whatever platform you're watching this on, whether it's through our website, whether it's on social media like Facebook, wherever it is that you're watching this. I want to encourage you to engage. Maybe send a direct message to the church. Um, engage with one of the campus pastors that will be online. We want to follow up with you. We want to help you get plugged in. If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe it's time to get that humble heart before the Lord. If you're going, man, this message was for me. I would love it. I'd even love it if you would share this video with somebody that you think needs it. Who needs that message of hope in their life? Share this video video with them. Let's pass on the good news and let's walk in obedience to it. There will also be some questions that the campus pastors are going to post in the chat, and I'd love it if you would have conversations about these questions um, in your home, with your family, or with your small group or discipleship group. Know you are loved, and know I believe with a humble heart before the Lord. The best is yet to come. There is not a two dead, and God is going to move even in your story today.